Let's hear what the Lord has to say today. If you turn to Romans 8 again, we're going to be back there. Turn to Romans 8, please. And the title of today's message is Praying as God's Sons, the Spirit Helps Our Weakness. So we'll begin in verse 15 of Romans 8. And Paul writes there, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And likewise the Spirit also helps our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And He that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And let's pray. And Father, I just ask that once again, that through my mouth and through my lips that you'll speak to all of us here, Lord, speak to all of our hearts, your word, and that we can look to you and to your spirit to help us, Lord, in times of need. And you will pray through us and we'll be praying perfectly. And I just ask you'll show us all that today in Jesus name. So we've been studying Romans 8 and for the last three weeks we've been looking in Romans 8 at the doctrine of adoption and especially how it relates to prayer. This will be our third message on prayer. And I believe the Lord really wants to put it on our hearts that we need to be in these coming days people of prayer. Much prayer is what it has to be. So he's placed, we've seen this, he's placed his spirit in our hearts. Put us into his family so that now it says we can cry out to him as our father. Abba, Father. The first time we talked on prayer, that that should cause us to be devoted to prayer. That should characterize our lives as God's people. Devoted to continually pray to our Heavenly Father. Because we said all relationships are built on what? Communication. As once there's no communication, there's no longer a relationship. We didn't have that as sinners. We had no communication with God. That was gone. And yet through the death and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been brought. We should never forget that when we get on our knees to pray. That it is because of his blood and the work he did on that cross that we have any access to the Father whatsoever. And it says that in 1 Peter 3.18. And this is a verse that's not talked about much, but listen to this verse. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust 
so that he might bring us to God. Saying he died the just for the unjust so that. Here is the reason it says that he might bring us to God. And that word bring us means to bring into somebody's presence. And that is the great purpose of the cross. Because we'd lost that. We'd been out of God's presence. Kicked out of the garden, so to speak. Right? So this is telling us Jesus died on the cross so he could take us by our hand and give us an admission to the great king. Bring us into his presence before his throne. Right? And now, because of that, we can actually talk to God. Bring our concerns to him. Plead with God, and he will listen and answer us. Speak back to us. Because remember we said this, he's the perfect father. And who's the perfect father that's not going to talk to their children or help their children out or give their children good advice, godly counsel, lead, God, whatever. That's what God is, the perfect father. So we can talk to him as children, and that is the greatest privilege of the gospel. It is, right? And so because of that, we said in the last message, we should be dedicated to communion with the Father, praying to Him in secret. God expects that of us. It's not really an option for a Christian. But too many times we make our prayer life an option. And He expects us to have a secret chamber, a place where we can go and get alone with Him and pray. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray. He didn't say, if you pray. And he goes on to say, when you pray, what you should do is enter your closet and then shut the door behind you and pray to your father who is in secret. And he says, your father that is in secret, when he sees you praying, it won't be in vain. What does he say? He will reward you. And that is all of grace. Reward us for what? He had to sacrifice his son to make the way for us, give us his spirit that we're enabled to pray in the right way. We'll see that as we move on. I mean, it's all of grace, and yet he rewards us for seeking him. <laughs> That's the God we serve right there. And that was the custom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as growing up, we talked about that. He would have been in a house, but there would have been a lot of people living in that house. And yet there was a closet there that he would have got in their storage closet and shut that door and spent time with his father. And later on, when he had no home, we see him going up into mountains. He was going to places to get alone to pray. He is our example. That's the pattern that we should follow. And so today I want to look at another thing in Romans 8, another way that God helps us in prayer as his son, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we need to keep in mind when you read Romans chapter 8 is that is the great theme of that chapter. And what is it? It's the assurance we can know that we have eternal life, the assurance of our salvation. And so God wants us to know that from the moment that we are truly justified and born again, because there are such things as false conversions, right? And that shows up somewhere down the road, doesn't it? But when it is true faith and a true conversion, the moment that happens, you are forever justified. And we're back to verse 1 that we started with. There is therefore now... No condemnation. That judgment day is not going to come for the believer. No condemnation for those who are in, in union. That's the key, in union with Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And so the primary influence 
that is going to secure our salvation. And this is what Romans 8 is all about, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you just could follow me briefly here, going back through, that is what we see in this chapter. So chapter 2, we're looking at the work of the Spirit. It says the law of the Spirit, verse 2, of life in Christ Jesus does what? It sets us free from that principle, that law of what we were in bondage to before, sin and death. The Holy Spirit does that. In verse 4, the Holy Spirit enables us to keep the righteousness that is in the law. We can't do that in our flesh. Chapter 7 told us that. Can't do it. Verse 6 says the Spirit does what? Gives us life and peace. Comes from the Spirit of God. Verse 11 says, because the Spirit dwells in us, He will one day raise us from the dead because of that indwelling Spirit. Verse 13 says, the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body, enables us to live the crucified life. Verse 14 says, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we've been looking at here for the Last few weeks, verse 15 tells us what? The Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that assurance that our salvation is secure. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so today we're going to look at a further work that the Holy Spirit does in securing our salvation. He helps our weakness, and especially in prayer. And I'm saying helping us in prayer It is critical because the most important aspect of our Christian life is what? We have got to maintain that contact with God the Father. That is critical, right? Because why? Look at this world and look at how much darker and dangerous it is. I mean, literally now, the time we're in now, literally day by day. And we need to have God's presence, our Father's presence, His comfort, His guidance, living with this, walking with this, his blessings. We've got to experience all that, and that is why prayer is essential. Looking through this chapter 8, one of the main reasons that prayer is essential is because we Christians are not called to a life of ease and comfort, are we? (laughs) But one of suffering. And look, that's what it says in verse 17. So if children, if children of God, then we're heirs. Praise the Lord. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But nobody likes the second half of verse 17. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So everybody loves the message, I'm a joint heir with Christ. Right? Too many, that just speaks of endless prosperity. Let the good times roll. Throw the Bible in the air and everything's great, right? Everybody likes that. But when we become an heir Part of being a joint heir, what else do we inherit with the Lord Jesus Christ? Suffering. And that's the first part of our inheritance we're going to experience. And here's what we need to understand, though, and this is hard to get hold of. Do you know that God says the suffering we experience is a gift? You're like, a gift? What? You're crazy. Philippians 1.29, that is exactly what it says. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but it's also given to you to suffer for his sake. Now that word given, it's where we get our word charismatic. That's what the word is. That's the root of that word given. It means a free gift, to give freely as a favor. 
And God said, I've given you freely as a favor. You can suffer on my son's behalf. It's the same word that's used in Romans, in Romans 8.32, where it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also? And here's the same word, freely give us all things. It's the exact same word. It said, I've not only given you graciously to be able to believe on my son and to have everlasting life, but I have also graciously given you the privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus. Do we look at it like that? I mean, most of us, we look at that as being something to be avoided at all costs, don't we? Honestly? Well, listen, in the book of Acts chapter 5, here's how it was for the early apostles. The high priests and the Sadducees had all of them arrested. Every single apostle was arrested, and it said they were put in the common prison. And what happened there? It says the angel came, the angel of the Lord came, released all of them. And here's what the angel told them when he released them. He says, listen, y'all aren't going to go run and hide. He says, no, I want you to go stand and speak in the temple, which is where they had been arrested in the first place. I want you to go right back there, he tells them. Go and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Because the devil would love to shut up the words of life. And he can't do that. And that's exactly what they did. They went back there and began preaching just like nothing had ever happened. And so the high priest and his companions find out what's going on. And they're like, what in the world? And so what do they do? They go back and arrest them again. And they're like, fellas, you 12 guys, didn't we give you orders not to ever speak in the name of Jesus again and all this gospel you're propagating? And Peter famously says, hey, we ought to obey. Sorry, sir. I respect you. You're the high priest. But we ought to obey God rather than men. And at that words, those guys were hot. And they were making plans to kill all 12 of them right there. And old Gamaliel, he spoke up and he gave this advice. He says, well, if this work, gentlemen, be of men, it will come to naught. But if it's God's work, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And they could hear the wisdom in the words of old Gamaliel. So here's what they did. It says, when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so what did the apostles do? Did they go seek crisis counseling? <laughs> we shared about the Lord, and we got beaten by these guys. We've been locked in prison twice. This is tough. I mean, that's what they do today, don't they? It's crisis counseling for everything. Well, that's not what it says. There's the point I'm getting to. We're saying we've got to realize they looked at it as a gracious gift to suffer for his namesake. Because here's what it says. The apostles, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Got to remember that, don't we? They counted it a gracious privilege to suffer for their Lord. And that's the way Paul viewed suffering too. So we looked at verse 17. Look what it says in verse 18. Paul says the same thing here, doesn't he? He says, for I reckon, he's a good Kentucky boy, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So that's what we need to remember when somebody doesn't like us, they treat us bad. We haven't had a knife at our throat yet. That may or may not come. I don't know. 
But whatever, we need to remember whatever we have to suffer for his sake, it's not even, he says, worthy to be compared. That's the bottom line, isn't it? No matter how hard it is now, it'll be worth it in the end. That's what Paul's saying, and that's just hard to remember. You know, so my wife, mind my own business, and I get this text from her yesterday. And here's what it said. They, meaning the disciples, mistake the design of the gospel as securing them from trouble. But the design of the gospel is trouble, division, and no peace in this world. But in the world to come, everlasting life. She didn't know what I was preaching on. I mean, what kind of text do you get from your wife? <laughs> That's what I got from mine, right? But it's true, isn't it? Too many people, they, hey, the old faith message, man, this is great. We get everything now that we never had before and never could afford. God will give it all. I mean, oh, no, suffering. Peter and John, they didn't take it that way. We don't have anything to give you except in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And our backs are bloodied. That's what they had to give. Amen. Are we willing to take that part of it? Amen. She got that out of Matthew, Henry, John 16, I found out. So anyways, well, listen, we go on here in Romans 8 and we looked at 17 and 18. Well, 19 to 25 speak of the results of the suffering we must go through. So it's not only believers, it's not only Christians, but it says all of creation. I mean, everybody's groaning. It's what we get out of that. Look at verse 22. Creation's groaning, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails and pains together until now. And then it talks about, even though we have the down payment of the Spirit, we groan. Verse 23, and not only they, not only the creation, the created order, but also us, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves. Why? We haven't had the full adoption manifested. We don't have our glorified body yet. And so we're subject to weakness, suffering, sin, sickness, on and on, right? Got to trust God for healing. We're not going to have to do that in the eternal state. And that's what he's saying there. Why is it, though, why do we groan? Why do we groan? Because we're brought into circumstances that seem like everything is against us at times. Have you all experienced that? It's everything today, this week, this year has been against me. And we get discouraged and perplexed, don't we? We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. And we feel hopeless, helpless, and weak. That is why we groan at times. Life's not just one huge groan, I hope for you. And we long for the day. That's what he's saying here, when sin and all of its effects will be done away with. That'll be the eternal state. We're waiting for it all to be history. But look, we're moving on down to verse 26. Thank God that he sent us help. Verse 26, he says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. He's groaning with groanings which cannot be uttered. So God has given us his spirit to help us in our weaknesses, our discouragement, our infirmities is what he's saying there, right? It literally means a lack of strength is what that word infirmity means. And so the context, it's talking about suffering. It means a lack of strength to bear trials or troubles. And so sometimes our trials and troubles are so great and overwhelming, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to pray about this situation. It seems so complex, so much of a mess. I have no idea what to do, right? No way out of this in the natural. 
And what's the point where we're at then? We need God's help. Right? Second Chronicles 20. Talk about Second Chronicles 20 a lot, but it really is applicable right here. So Asa and Israel, they're faced with a great multitude from Moab and the Ammonites. And they feel totally powerless and overwhelmed by their circumstances. And here is how Asa prayed to God. He says, oh, Lord God, oh, our God. Listen, we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do. Isn't that what we're talking about here? I don't know what to pray. We have no might. We are at a loss. God, he's praying. He says, but our eyes are open upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And that is what we're talking about here in Romans 8, 26. Coming to God in our weakness and our helplessness. Getting on our knees and looking to him and his spirit for help. So what was God's answer to Asa's prayer? What does it say? Because the next thing you read is, Then upon Jehaziel came the spirit of the Lord. God sent his spirit to give them what they needed in their weakness and in their lack. The spirit of God came on Hazel in the midst of the congregation. So what is God's answer to our weakness, our perplexity, or we don't know what to do next? What's his answer? It's the spirit. The spirit of God will help their infirmities. Lord, neither know we what to do is what they prayed. And that's what we pray. And I felt that way. And I know you felt that way, too. All of us in here. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I do know I'm in trouble. That much I know. My children have gone crazy. My work situation's out of hand. Like Greg, every day, his work situation's out of hand. He he wakes up knowing that, right? So I imagine Greg wakes up on his knees. He probably sleeps on his knees, right? You're looking at your marriage is a mess. You got problems there. You can't get free from a sin. You're battling loneliness and depression. And it's like, I don't know what to do. I really don't. This is overwhelming me. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to pray about it. Don't know where to begin to pray. And that's what he's saying there in Romans 8, 26. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. I just don't know what to do. Help. (laughs) You ever cried out to God to just please help you? We have got to be willing to admit, and this is not an American idea, to be willing to admit how weak you are. They want everybody to think they're strong even when they aren't. You know, they want all the kids. All the kids play, whether they're good or not. Nobody keeps score. Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a trophy and even the last place team. Nobody's weak. And, you know, feeling weak at times and that you aren't Michael Jordan when you like to play basketball is not a bad thing. It really isn't. Because then when we recognize our weakness and we're not relying on ourselves, that is when the Spirit of God can come and help us. And that's when we'll experience his power. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul had to deal with what were known as the super apostles. And they're trying to undermine his ministry. They're telling everybody, and the Corinthians were impressed with this. They were Greeks. And they said, hey, look at these guys, man. They are eloquent. They look good, right? Good looking and strong. And Paul says, hey, I'm none of that. I'm sorry, I'm none of that. He says, my speech is contemptible and my bodily presence is, it's that same word, weak, without strength. He he must have looked like a wimp, I guess. That's what he's saying. My bodily appearance is weak. He says, but not only that, he says, I'm suffering greatly. 
These guys can't say that. He said, I'm suffering greatly for the cause of Christ. And this thorn in the flesh he's given me. I don't know if I can handle it. That's what he told the Lord. And Jesus said to him, what? My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So look again at verse 26. When does the Holy Spirit help us? When we're boasting of our strength, when does it say he comes? Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. That is when he comes. When we're weak, when we don't know what to do, how to cope, how to pray. That's when you can look to the Spirit of God and he will come. He will be there. One man said it's when we wake up at night and we're fearful, unhinged, disappointed, sad, empty, lonely, and all you can barely say is, Abba, Father, that is when the Spirit will come and help us. Like I said, don't we want to avoid those situations at all costs? Even Paul is like, please, Lord, can you take this away from me? I don't know if I can handle it. And God says, you can't. But my grace and by my spirit, you can handle it. And so what we need to remember, if you're in a situation like that today, or you might be tomorrow, or you will be for sure at some point, because it is through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. We're going to have that tribulation, that pressing. But we need to remember something. God is the one that has brought you in whatever that situation is, right? And not so he can beat you down and crush you. We're back to you got to have verse one in your life, right? But if you're his child, he is not going to crush you. That's not his purpose. It's so you can learn and we can learn and I can learn and you can learn. Our children can learn. Our grandparents, everybody can learn to rely on God and experience his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Andre Crouch, not with us anymore, but he wrote this. I thank God for the mountains, and I thank him for the valleys, and I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that God, not us, God could solve them. And I'd never know what faith in God could do. Does everybody want to start singing through it all? be a good place to do it right but if we never had a problem we wouldn't know that God could solve them right and so we get in situations we don't know how to solve them how to pray and we just need help as I've already said many times plain and simple and so it says what likewise the spirit helps our infirmities and that word for helps it's a compound word it's a big long Greek word and it means to be of assistance, to come to the aid of, to take hold with another. And the picture it's painting, it's like, you know, at church, we were talking the other day, do we not move everybody as much as we used to? It used to be like every other month we were helping somebody move into a new house. You know, and you see sometimes somebody's grabbing some chair and you can just see he is really struggling. He's about ready to fall under the weight of it, right? And that's the picture we get here. And somebody else comes along, here, let me help you with that, brother. And they grab the other end. And so what was going to crush that one guy Right. The two of you together with that help, you're able to bear that load. And that's what he's saying. Our infirmities, our weaknesses, our situations, our lack of knowing what to do, what to pray. It can be weighing down and crushing you. And God says he's given us the spirit to help us. Amen. He'll pick up that end. Right. Actually, he's going to pick the whole thing up. Now, we have a part to play in that thing, but it is the spirit of God basically that does it all. Just to help you understand the word help, it's the same word that was used of Martha and Mary 
You know, Martha's so busy serving, and she says, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. What's she saying? Have her come and take some of this load off of me. And that's what the Spirit of God does. That's what God's given the Holy Spirit to us for. We can't bear the burdens. They will crush us if we try to do it on our own. He comes and lends a helping hand. And how does he do that? Look what it says. Romans 8. For the Spirit himself, he makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the question I'd like to ask first is, who does the groaning? Is it us or is it the Spirit? And I would say, yes. Right? Look up there, we got in verse 23, who's doing the groaning in verse 23? It says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. But then in verse 26, it says, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. Right? The Spirit groans. In Galatians 4, 6, we've quoted this in light of adoption. It says, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So he's saying there it's the spirit in us crying, Abba, Father. But when we look back at Romans 8, 15, it says you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So who is it? If you would, put something there and turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. He says in verse 14, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, the Holy Spirit prays. He says, But I don't understand a word that's being said. My understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? He says, I will pray. So there you have the Spirit prays, and then he says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. So he's talking about two kinds of prayer there. Isn't Paul talking about two kinds of prayer? Prayer in the Spirit with the Spirit and prayer with understanding. And so when the Spirit of God is interceding for us, the Spirit does the praying through our spirits using our mouths. Right? It's just like on the day of Pentecost. And so some of the young people, the older people, this won't be anything new, but a lot of the younger people, and people have questions on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the importance of it. And Romans 8.26 ought to settle the importance of having it and using the prayer language. But on the day of Pentecost, it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak. They had to begin to speak with other tongues. And it says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They had to do the speaking. When I pray in tongues, nothing's opening my mouth. There's not some force I'm feeling that's pulling my jaw down, forcing me to speak. Amen? I'm doing it. As I'm yielding, though, at the same time, I'm not making up what I'm saying. It's the Spirit of God meeting me. It's, as you yield, the Spirit of God speaks through you, gives you the utterance, and it's an act of faith. You have to trust when you open your mouth, He'll be there giving you the words. It's just after you've done it for 30-some years, you know, you kind of, it's like driving across that bridge. You, you don't even think about it. You just do it. But every time we pray in tongues, it's an act of faith. Amen. And that's the way it works. So you go back to Romans 8. So Paul is saying there, hey, there is prayer in the spirit that is without understanding. And I think that clearly implies, that's his daily prayer language, that it is in tongues. It's not talking about praying with the understanding. There's two different He's praying in whatever his native tongue, for us it would be English, and he's also talking about praying in the Spirit. 
And so it says there that the spirit groans in verse 26, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And then also can mean without words, or I would say without words that could be understood. It's not silent prayer. It's not this groaning inside of you that, man, something's going on. It's the spirit praying through me. No, that's not what it's saying. That word can mean words that can't be understood. And so here's how it works. We're in trouble. We're like Asa. We don't know what to do or how to pray, and you're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed, right? And because of our weakness, don't know what to pray for. And here's what we can do. He's saying we can yield to the Spirit at that point and allow Him to pray through us. So we don't understand what He's praying. I don't. And Paul said, For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mystery. If that's not what he's talking about, to me, verse 27 doesn't really make sense. Because that had to be a little unsettling to some Christians. They're saying, we're spending this all this time praying. We can't understand a single thing we're saying. How do we know it's right? How do we know what's going on? And so he tells them in verse 27, And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Just settle down, folks, he's saying, when you're praying, because he's making intercession, these groanings through you that you can't understand. He's making intercession for the saints, it says, according to the will of God. So it's the Spirit of God praying through us, God himself, and God doesn't have any trouble understanding himself. It's the Spirit praying through us to the Father. He's saying the Father understands what the Spirit's praying, because they're both God. There's no problem there. And so as we do that, we can know that we are praying perfectly according to the will of God. We're not wasting our time. And we've got a perfect illustration of that in Acts chapter 12. So James had just been killed by Herod, and Peter is arrested, and he's put in prison. And Herod's going to make a public spectacle of Peter, just like he did with James. But he says, I'm going to wait until the Passover, wait until the big crowds are gone, and I'm going to bring him out and kill him. And then it says, and Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but... Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And I'm saying that account combines everything that we've been talking about in prayer just in that one account. Because the church was persistent. Remember we talked about that? We have got to be persistent. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And they didn't faint in their prayer for Peter. It doesn't say exactly how long they prayed, but it was more than just one day and a night. It went on. It was day and night. And that's what he says in Luke's account, doesn't he? Shall not God avenge his elect that are crying out to him day and night? And that's what they were doing for Peter. They didn't just quit. They didn't just claim it and move on. No, they prayed day and night, devoted to prayer like we talked about. Prayer was made without ceasing, it says, of the church. And here's how I know they would have been praying in the spirit. They would have run out of Hebrew, Greek, whatever Aramaic words they were using way within the first hour or two, right? But they'd have been groaning or sighing is what that word means. And how do I know that? Because Peter was their leader and he was their beloved friend. You think about it. If my buddy Greg, I've known Greg since we were, he was old enough to trip me when I met him when we were five years old. And I hear he's going to get his head cut off the next day. It'd be bothersome for me. I'd be groaning. I'd be sighing. I'd be pressing in for him, right? Yeah. I guarantee you that's what they were doing. They love Peter. 
He's their leader, and they're about to lose him. It had been a great burden for them. And have you never had that happen, where the situation you're in is just the burden is on you that the only way to really pray, I mean, you, I mean I've been there. You start, It's just praying in tongues is the only way to release what's on the inside of you. And that's what he's talking about here in Romans 8.26. That's how we deal with these situations. That is why God has given us the Holy Spirit in tongues. Amen. It's a blessing. Amen. It's nothing to apologize for. <laughs> and that's what they would have done for them. That's the way they would have prayed. No words in English sometimes. It's just not adequate. And that works both directions, doesn't it? Aren't there times when God's Spirit's on you in joy? And it's just like, man, I, all I can do, you just want to sing in tongues. Seriously, y'all know what I'm talking about? Amen. <laughs> and how about the times when God does anoint and we do that a cappella singing in tongues? That's beautiful. That's the ultimate, isn't it? That to me is like the ultimate form of worship. You know, the baptism in your initial, it's what goes on after that that's essential. Praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues is essential for the Christian life. Derek Prince said this. Without tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he said, your prayer life is incomplete. And he quoted Romans 8.26. And he said, we are all weak and we must use the gift that God has given us. Amen? I'm thankful myself. I praise God. Because I've had moments in my life, if I couldn't have prayed in tongues and gotten before the Lord and grown, so to speak, in tongues, in the spirit, that is when God relieved me. That was the only thing that was bringing me relief, that I could just keep praying in the spirit. And eventually that breakthrough happened. I was so upset there wouldn't have been any English words to speak. That has happened more than once. And Paul exhorted the church at Ephesus. He says that is one of your major weapons in spiritual warfare Amen. against the forces of the devil that are seeking to destroy them. It's prayer in the spirit. And if you would turn to Ephesians 6. Now, we taught on this, but we need to look at it again, I think, today. So Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It just seems like it. But we're against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand when in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we're in a grave battle, aren't we, that we're engaged in? The evil day, that's the day we're in. This is about as evil as it gets. And so what's the last weapon that he urges the saints to take on and use? Look in verse 18 in chapter 6. He tells them, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. How? In the Spirit. We already read in 1 Corinthians 14 what in the Spirit means. Without your understanding. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always, he's saying. We've talked about that with persistence. We've talked about that and for all saints. And that's what happened back in Acts chapter 12. That's what they were doing. Praying always in the spirit for Peter. That's what they were doing for him. And they wouldn't have known what to pray for Peter, would they? 
How would they have known whether God didn't want to make him a martyr? They wouldn't know. Would you pray God give him the grace that he can smile and look up to heaven and have that glow like Stephen? Would they know that or would they say, hey, maybe you want to release him from that? Like Daniel in the lion's den? They wouldn't have known how to pray. But they would have said this. We can pray in tongues. We can labor in tongues and know that we're praying according to your perfect will. And that's what they did. And guess what? God sent his angel. He did over and above all that they could think or ask. And that's another good reason why we should allow the Holy Spirit to pray for us. Because we might get an added blessing when he's praying for us over and above all that we would ever think and ask. He's thinking and asking for it. Right? <laughs> they wouldn't have thought to have some angel being sent in that prison. And so let me ask you. We're talking, we're here in Ephesians 6. Do we think that our church right now is in spiritual warfare? You think there are spiritual forces? Let's just be honest. Trying to destroy this church? Oh, I do. I think so. And exactly how to pray against that, I don't think I'm strong enough, smart enough, know enough how to deal with any of and all that that's coming our way. Do you? I sure don't. But we can do what Paul says in Romans 8, 26, can't we? In our weakness, we can pray and get on our knees and we can know that we're praying according to the perfect will of God. Amen? So listen, there's been talk here about revival in our church and that's good. But I'm saying, I don't know everything that has to happen for God to send revival, to send a spirit of revival here, but the spirit of God does, doesn't he? And we need his help to know how to pray. So we want revival and revival, it's a sovereign act of God. You're not going to twist his arm and make it happen. It's a sovereign act of God. Yet, we can't just sit back and say, well, you know, God's in control. If he wants to send revival, he will, which he will. Does that mean we don't have any responsibility? We need to remember, you know, God is also in control of the farmer's crops. You're never going to get a bumper crop and say it was all because of you, because he had to send the rain, he had to give the seed, he had to cause things to grow and have the sun come out. No one's going to take credit for it. But you know what else God has ordained in the bumper crop? That that farmer had to plow, plant seed, and keep the animals away. So he's ordained the end, hasn't he? But he's also ordained the means to the end. And what is that? It's our prayer. We have got to pray. And that's the way his will is accomplished through us through the prayers of his people. That is the way he has set things up. So I can look at my own life. You can look at yours. My salvation was ordained from the foundation of the world. But the means that accomplished that is I had a sister that loved me enough to pray and fast for me. And that's when it happened. God put it on her heart and I thank God for it. But he's ordained the means. It's not going to just happen. We've got to use the means he's given us. And so in Joel 2, God promised that he would restore all the years the canker worm, caterpillar, and the palmer worm had destroyed, all that the devil had devoured. He also promised, if you read Joel 2, he's going to pour out his spirit on his people and bless them, he says, so that they would know, which is what we want here. Conscience that God is in their midst is what he said would happen. Promised they would never be ashamed. But guess what? Before he said that would happen, you know what he did? And this is the word for us. He said, the people have got to come back and be consecrated. Repent. Call a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Seek my face. That happens first. Read Joel. That happens first. 
He says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. That is first. And God says, If you want to experience my manifest presence and power, I've given you the means, a consecrated life and prayer. And if we're willing to pay that price, he's faithful to his word. Amen. Amen. I really think he is. We all desire that, don't we? I do. We got a lot of people here. They need to be restored, young and old. We got young and old alike. But are we willing to use the means that God is going to bring that restoration about, which is prayer? So look, if it was necessary for the son of God to spend much time in prayer, how much more us? I mean, that's for all of us, isn't it? And I'll tell you, understanding that should cause us to pray more and not less. We see how much he had to pray. That should cause us to pray more and not less. And I think it's like, let's get back to Wednesday night. We just take our little. If you just 15 minutes, whatever, if you're doing nothing, just do something every day. And he's going to want to encourage you in that if you're his child. Watch him take your little and bless us, right? So we had dinner the other night, my family did, over at somebody's house. And a sister there said this. She said, if everyone in our church would just take the time to pray every day and have devotion before the Lord and prepare themselves before church in prayer, what a difference that would make. And I'm sitting there thinking, she gets it. That's it. That's all we need to do, isn't it? What a difference it would make. And meetings with no anointing, all of a sudden, wow, they got a big anointing. That's all it would take. So I don't think we need a lot of programs being put in place. We just need people that are hungry for God and willing to seek him daily. And do like we heard today. Go out and share the gospel with others. And you see if God's presence doesn't come here. And you see if he doesn't bless our church. Because that prayer and seeking him was the foundation of the early church in Acts chapter 1. All with one accord, seeking his outpouring of the Spirit. And that's what's going to happen. So, you know, what we've been saying, we're a weak and needy people. And we're faced all the time with circumstances and situations in our lives that we don't know what to do. We don't know how to pray. And they're a burden to us. Calls us to groan or sigh. And he's given us the answer, hasn't he? Just reminded you what I've already said. He's put his spirit within us that will intercede through us, groan through us, right? In our private prayer language, we don't know what we're saying, but God does know what we're saying, doesn't he? It's him praying through us. And we can know that no matter what we're praying about, this hopeless, helpless situation we're in, it's, it's being prayed for perfectly. And that is a comfort, isn't it? Like I said, we're not wasting our time. And so I would say, let's take advantage and not neglect the gift he's given us of praying in tongues. Amen. Let me finish with this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our burdens share? 
Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen? And praise God for His help. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again, we just bow our hearts in gratitude, Lord. First of all, for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that made a way for us, Lord. Made a way to your throne, made a way for us to experience the indwelling Holy Spirit. That could only happen because he paid the price. He paid the penalty that we deserved. And we just thank you so much for that. And we also thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to each of us, that ability to speak in tongues and to intercede and pray and groan. You're help us in our weakness, and we can pray perfectly according to your will. And we're just so thankful, Lord. And I just ask you'll impress on all of us, Lord, to pray in tongues more and to take advantage of what you've given us, Lord, in these days ahead that we'll need that praying for ourselves, our families, and each other and for lost people that we meet. And I just thank you that you'll do that, Lord. I thank you for speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen.